the vast majority of people, they don't actually stay in the tourism uh, industry coming out of the school. So I ended up being one of those who stayed. So win-win uh, both sides. Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. You know, I always say that I have a special guest, but today I have an extra special guest. My guest today is the Deputy Minister of Tourism in Cyprus. And as you all know, whoever listens to me, Cyprus is my second home. Cyprus is my island in the sun, as I call it. And I am extremely honored to have Savas Perdios on my podcast, on my show today. He's a fantastic young man who has done so much for Cyprus yet. And um, I think he also has, it has been or is Minister of Tourism during the worst times ever because uh, COVID wasn't exactly fun to be a minister in. He was born in Nicosia in Cyprus, in the capital. He studied accounting and finance at the University of Warwick. And then he studied at the famous Ecole Hotelière de Lausanne, the Lausanne Hotel School, which is supposed to be one of the best hotel schools in the world. And I'm saying that because my daughter studied there as well. He had several jobs in uh, Mykonos, Kepinski Hotels in Switzerland. He came to Cyprus, he started working here. And I understand that somebody must have realized his knowledge and his talent and his capacity to be a minister. So welcome to Most Memorable Journey, Savas Perdios. Elizabeth, thank you very much for your introduction. I'm um, quite uh, honored and humbled, to be honest. I uh, feel a bit shy now. Are my cheeks a bit red? <laughs> <laughs> you see, the people who are listening to this can't see you, so yeah. it doesn't matter whatever uh, you, color you are. <laughs> you, you can, so. But uh, thank you very much for your kind words. It's uh, an honor to be here. Let's tell our listeners that uh, you and I met um, by chance a few months ago in, in an event. We have been trying to um, arrange uh, this podcast for a few months now. But obviously, I mean, uh, coming out of the pandemic and then after uh, the war in Ukraine, I have been traveling like crazy over the last uh, nine months to make sure that the destination is ready for uh, this uh, season. Uh, I'm happy that now uh, those trips are finishing and we found the time to, to talk. So thank you very much for having me. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate you. And for, for for somebody who wonders, we have also discussed how I am allowed to address Sabas. We are on first name terms, even though he is a minister. Now, let's talk a little bit about how all this started. I always ask people on my show, when was your first flight? My first flight? Unexpected question. Probably I, I was lucky enough to have been on a plane when I was less than 10 years old, probably uh, some holiday abroad with my parents. Now, if you ask me which country that was, I, I wouldn't be able to answer, actually. But uh, it was as a boy. We went uh, on a family holiday. Probably it must have been uh, to Greece because my father used to work a lot uh, in the tourism sector with Greece at the time. So probably, I will ask my mom though. I'll ask my mom and uh, maybe I get back to you after it. <laughs> it's not so important, but because my show is called Most Memorable Journeys, I need to tra talk about travel a little bit. I know your dad and I worked with your dad when he was a man general manager at the Carpassiana Hotel when I was a young tour guide. So he is a lovely man. And I very nearly called you Jason Berdios before when we started the <laughs> because that's your dad. Okay, a lot, of people, a lot of people do that. So it's fine. I wouldn't take it the wrong way. Don't worry. <laughs> so um, so it, you went to Greece. You went to school in Cyprus. You did all your schooling here, as far as I understand. And then, yeah. 
Yes, um, I was attending um, a private school here in Cyprus. Um, in uh, preschool, it was the Nichols um, Nursery. Then after that, um, I went to the American Academy for five years. Uh, in the sixth grade, I moved to the junior school so that I would be able to then uh, move on to um, the English school, which is the senior school of the junior school. I was there for seven years. And um, after that, I did my um, army service, which at the time was 26 months, not like today when they go for 12 months and it's uh, a little bit uh, fun here and there. It was 26 months back then. Um, I went to the army for then for 26 months. I went to the UK for two years, as you said, uh, doing accounting and finance, which to be honest, was not uh, my decision. It was, um, you know, in Cyprus, sometimes gets uh, drilled into us that everybody who has good grades, they need to do something related to uh, finance, accounting, becoming a lawyer, etc. And it was very strange for me because I have always had this thing for hospitality and tourism. Um, so uh, then I moved on to um, Lausanne, uh, studying what I really wanted to study. And uh, yeah, then my career in the um, uh, tourism sector began. Isn't it amazing, though, that, um, well, not amazing, I'm actually proud of you that you did not do what you were sort of told to do or, or what was expected of you. You did not stay in accounting and finance, because I know that there is lots and lots of people in this world who spend all their lives doing something that they don't like. Yeah, that's very important. And thank you for bringing that up. Um, probably the easiest thing for me to do at the time was to just... Um, continue on what uh, other people wanted for me and to have a, a career in something that uh, everybody else was having a career in. Even, even, even my friends, like when I said that actually my purpose and my path will be in tourism and hospitality, they, a lot of people were shocked and they were like, why? I mean, you have such great uh, grades and um, you have a good education. Why do you want to be in tourism? And I said, but you know, this is what I love, you know, this is what I really want to do. And uh, I, I, I really want to pay my respect to this wonderful industry, uh, which is called tourism and hospitality. So, yeah, then um, I said, okay, I don't care what people are saying or what they are going to be saying, uh, what they think tourism and hospitality is, uh, because there's a lot of mis misconceptions out there about uh, tourism and hospitality. Everybody thinks that tourism is just a hotel. No, there's like so many jobs related to tourism. And for me, it's just a blessing to be able to do what I was born to do, uh, what I love. Uh, and I'm not talking about the politics side of it. That's just something on the side, something that's also temporary. My life has been devoted to, to tourism. And this is what I mean uh, when, I, when I share my CV, for example. It says that I'm very lucky to be uh, doing my hobby uh, for a job. And, you know, I would do it for free. And that's the truth. Mm. Yeah, I think the thing about all this becoming a lawyer or an accountant or all this, it's also connected to money because, you know, there's there's no money in the tourism industry, which is rubbish. You know, it's, it's, it's first of all, there is a certain amount of money that we need in our lives. But once we have enough money to live, to pay our bills, to have a little bit of a good life, how much more money do we need if we are doing something that we don't like? And that's why people have heart attacks at 50 and, and I don't know, cancer and all sorts of diseases because they su suppress their desires and they don't do what they love. So, you know, money may be fun in those years, but then money doesn't buy health. 
Yeah, and you know, I know that you are an NLP practitioner and also a life coach, and um, I can tell from your approach how you have studied these things a lot. And you know, one thing that people don't know about uh, hospitality and tourism and travel in general or working in the travel industry, you know, we get rewarded for something we do or a service we offer on a daily basis. And that is amazing because as an accountant, as a lawyer or many other jobs, and no disrespect to them, you know, I'm just talking from a tourism standpoint. We in the tourism sector, we have the advantage that we're, we're able to serve um, offer, or offer our services and our hospitality to hundreds of people every day. And when you get hundreds of thank yous every day and hundreds of gestures of gratitude from all of these people, that fills your heart so much. And um, it gives you much, much more energy than what uh, you would get by, you know, drafting some documents and then going back and forth. And uh, by the time you finalize them, and then maybe you receive a thank you and your payment at the end of the year. So it's very different. Our, our way of seeking gratitude and happiness is very different to um, a lot of other jobs. That is so true. And I know that as well, because I was a tour guide for 11 years. And I used to think, you know, when I was traveling with a group of people, sometimes and they were getting on my nerves and they were driving me crazy and they wanted this and they were light, late or whatever. But at the end of the trip, when they said, you know, we had a wonderful time, you made our trip more enjoyable. It, it is so rewarding. It's so re- because people save money to go on holidays. You know, it's it's. I think this is this deserves respect. Not everybody has a lot of money, so some people save a lot their money all year around to come on holidays, and they deserve a good time. Absolutely, and uh, this is something that I have always talked about to um, the teams I have led in the past, and also now that you know, every person in this world, they have been working uh, their heads off. And probably doing two jobs at the same time. And I say that because running a family or raising a family is a second job. Okay. So most people are working 16 hours a day, doing two jobs, 50 weeks a year, so that for two weeks, they can go somewhere on holiday. They've saved money. They have overworked themselves for those two weeks. And they have millions of options about where to go during those two weeks. They could go to any country in the world, any city within those countries, any hotel or accommodation establishment within that country and in that uh, city, etc. So if you add all of those options up, it's millions. And they choose us. So that's very, very unique. And we have a responsibility to respect the fact that we were chosen out of so many millions of options. And um, as a place for people to relax and connect again with their family. So, yeah, it's very important. Uh, totally. That sounds yeah, really, really true. Before we, because I'm going to ask you, you know, why should somebody come to Cyprus? But we're not there yet. First, I want to talk to you a little bit about Switzerland, because you spent four years in Switzerland. Well, three years because you were away exactly. from internships. Where did you do your internships and how, why did you choose EHL? Okay. Uh, Why did I choose EHL? Well, EHL has always had an excellent reputation as a hospitality school, but um, I think what there's there's a lot of very good hospitality schools around the world. It's not just uh, EHL. Lucerne is also very good. Um, There's others in France as well, like Vatel. There's uh, others in Germany too, like UIBH, etc., What was the key differentiator for me is the fact that uh, EHL always 
try to combine good practical uh, knowledge with the theoretical knowledge, but uh, also giving you the mindset of thinking from a leadership perspective. So I felt that coming out of EHL, I will have the option of uh, leadership of a big organization um, or also having the option of uh, leadership on a smaller scale of a smaller team. So I, I did not feel that by going to EHL and getting also the macro view of the industry that it would be a detriment to uh, whether I wanted to do something uh, a bit more um, at the micro level. So obviously, I mean, uh, this was very important. Um, the reputation of the hotel school was, uh, was good. Yeah, uh, it just happened. It was my first choice or my first option. I went for the interview. Uh, they accepted because actually I had done a lot of, uh, I had a lot of practical experience before going for the interview. I mean, since the age of 15, I have been working in the hospitality and tourism industry. I, I've actually worked um, every single job you can imagine in the industry. I mean, I have worked as a pool boy, uh, a maintenance um, uh, person, a reception, housekeeping, um, barman. I've been a cook for three years, waiting uh, tables as well, uh, front office, public relations, uh, sales as well, finance to purchasing department. And, and this obviously throughout my, my career as a, as a whole. But even before I applied to, to EHL, I had a lot of um, experience from summer jobs, uh, doing those little jobs, you know, to keep a bit of money on the side and all of these things. So it was something that um, was appreciated, I guess. Uh, the fact that uh, I, I came from a country known for its tourism industry is something that made the school also feel that I would be one of those people to actually stay in the industry because this is something people don't know about uh, EHL maybe. The vast majority of people, they don't actually stay in the tourism uh, industry coming out of the school. So I ended up being one of those who stayed. So win-win uh, both sides. Yeah, well, they develop good leaders. And as you say, they make you start from the base. I remember my daughter complaining that she had to get up at six o'clock in the morning to go to the bakery or work in the in housekeeping, all this. And I think this is a fantastic, and they treat everybody exactly the same way, no matter, you know, there were these, some of those rich kids coming from Asia, or I don't know, and they they had to go, they had to get up to go to the bakery as well. So uh, that's the, that's good fun. Did you enjoy living in Switzerland? At the beginning, it was difficult because I mean, obviously, you know Switzerland and you also know Cyprus. I mean, Cyprus, some things are more relaxed. Like, okay, if you take out the garbage on the wrong day, you're not going to get a fine. Or if you park maybe with your right tire outside of the uh, lines, you're not going to get fined. So we are a bit relaxed in that regard in Cyprus. First few months, uh, it was difficult for me to uh, really be so diligent in following all of these uh, rules in Switzerland. But uh, I loved um, living there because when you get used to the concept of um, you know respecting uh, others and understanding that everything in Switzerland is about not crossing that borderline of other people's freedoms. And that's, I think, a very important part of Swiss uh, daily life, that yes, you're free to do what you want, as long as it's not something which is at the to the detriment of your neighbor or the person living in, living in the flat below you or the, guy, the, the person who is parked uh, next to you. So there's a 
mutual respect. And um, I was amazed by the fact that, you know, many countries, they require uh, policemen and women to police the laws. In Switzerland, it's the actual, it's the people who police the laws. So if you do something which you're not supposed to do, the police will receive a call and say, hey, you know, this guy is taking out his garbage every night on the wrong night. Uh, please do something about it. So that was a very important um, lesson, uh, obviously, in terms of hospitality, etc. Uh, I love the fact that it's so international. But at the same time, there's a lot of pride uh, in Switzerland. The people of Switzerland, they're very pr- proud. I mean, the, the French-speaking part, they're proud about that language. The German-speaking part, they're proud about that language. The Italian-speaking part... They're proud about that language. So uh, this was also amazing uh, to see. I mean, you have not, or the the Swiss have not lost their authenticity, even though it's a very international community. They're very forward-thinking, outgoing, a lot of very important lessons. I hated the weather, though. I have to say that. (laughs) Well, you see, as you, I can really, really relate to every single thing you said. And, And those people that call the police when you take out the garbage on the wrong day, we call them hobby policemen. So um, I I consider myself extremely blessed because I really have the best of both worlds. There is like Switzerland and Cyprus are about as far away from each other as they can possibly be because, uh, and, and there are many things that I don't like in Switzerland and there are many things that I don't like in Cyprus, but there are many, many things that I do like. I love living in Cyprus and I love especially those relax things and we are becoming too serious because we have we are not allowed to park anywhere we want anymore (laughs) (laughs) but um you know and i think what you said about the pride in the country this is something that is unfortunately lacking a little bit in cyprus this is why everybody throws garbage everywhere this is why everybody um and this is what we i think this is one of your jobs or not only your not not your jobs but it's also i think it's very much the job of the ministry of education is to teach children to be proud of this beautiful island because for me Cyprus is paradise I love living here I've been here for many many years and uh, I hike I swim I canoe I I do all the things that Cyprus isn't just because I want to start talking about Cyprus with you now Cyprus is not just sun and sea Cyprus is so 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 much more so after you finished studying, you decided to come back to Cyprus and you started working. Um, I've lost somewhere. I've, I've lost the note here. I don't remember when, where you worked the first job when you came back. Well, actually, um, after I finished school in Switzerland, uh, I was um, hired by Kempinski and I was working at uh, uh, the Mirador Kempinski in Montpellier. I don't think it's called, uh, I don't think it's a Kempinski anymore, but at that time it was. After about a year, the... Um, The boss of the company, you know, he came to the hotel and uh, they selected a few people for a career progression within the company. So, you know, from all the hotels they had worldwide, they created a list of 20, 30 people. And to those people, they were willing to go the extra mile with them, give them a a career path to the top, top management uh, positions within the company. I was on that list. Luckily, or I don't know, by chance, I, it, it was also a period of time in my life where I was seriously thinking of uh, Cyprus a lot. You know, I had been away for many years. I was almost um, approaching, I was approaching 30. It was getting very difficult for me to be away from Cyprus. Uh, my family is obviously here. And um, I, I, I caught myself being so um, nostalgic. And every time I heard uh, Greek music 
or every time we we hosted um, Cyprus events in Switzerland, um, I I felt very a big a heaviness in my heart. You know, I just felt like my God, what is this? I have never felt this before, and I I just need to go back. Anyway, I came back before I decided actually to make the move and. Uh, by chance, I happened to uh, meet with um, uh, the owner of Louis Hotels, Mr. Kostagis Loizu. He was talking to me about uh, his vision for the company. The group at the time was um, mainly known for uh, being an all-inclusive company, all-inclusive hotel company uh, with properties in Cyprus and Greece. And uh, he, said, he shared with me his vision that he wanted to uh, take the company uh, more upscale, uh, look into other segments of the market. Uh, rebranded, maybe uh, have different hotel collections for their properties because he felt that they needed to move also into uh, more elegant uh, type of hotels, uh, smaller hotels, boutique hotels, uh, adults-only hotels, etc. And he said to me, you know what, I don't yet have this position, but if you would accept to work for us, I would create a position of quality and branding manager, meaning somebody to handle all, all of the uh, quality procedures and standards of the company, uh, and also rebrand and um, launch in a different way uh, some of the projects and take the company forward. So I, it didn't take me long to think about that uh, since I really I felt that the offer was a um, good one, uh, not money-wise because uh, Cyprus cannot compete with the wages of Switzerland. And actually, uh, I would have been, I was earning less coming back to Cyprus than what I was earning as a first job in Switzerland. Uh, this is the truth of life and comparison between Switzerland and Cyprus. Um, but yeah, since I wanted to return, I, I took the offer and I started in January 2010. After a few years, I got promoted to chief um, operations officer of the company. After we had made a lot of changes in the operations and the company was growing uh, from strength to strength, my work was recognized and I was, um, I was given this opportunity in, I think it was late 2017 maybe beginning of 2018. So I was um, given the opportunity for that promotion. Um, I took it. And then a year later, out of the blue, the president called Mr. Loizu and he said, look, we're starting the Ministry of Tourism. I heard good things about Savas. Uh, you need to let him move. And uh, yeah, Mr. Loizu called me and he said, um, look, Savas, I'm not going to stop you. If this is something that you want to do, I would not say no. And then I decided that, yes, it was never my intention to get into politics. And I actually do not consider myself to be a politician. Uh, but I felt that, as you said, and maybe you want to talk a bit more about that, um, as you said, Cyprus needed a change of direction. And since day one here, I have made it uh, our vision at the ministry to not talk about Cyprus as only a sun and sea destination anymore. We have done a lot of things to start changing perceptions about Cyprus. And I accepted the offer from the president because I felt that it was the time for Cyprus to make these changes. It was good enough that the ministry was being created. I mean, this is a tourism dependent country. There was not even a ministry of tourism. So the president decided to have the ministry, but I also felt that it was important that the first minister of tourism would be somebody with a background in the industry, somebody who knows how the industry works, but also um, is aware of what the problems are in Cyprus and how to solve them. So, yes, um, that's why I said yes. And uh, the journey began in um, uh, early 2019. 
So you are there as a deputy minister of tourism, and it's an old man's world, really, isn't it? All these politics. Didn't people say, who is this kid? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, they did, you know, and actually I have gotten a bit used to that in the sense that people have been saying this all my life. Uh, when I was uh, in charge of uh, finance and purchasing, let's say, at uh, Kempinski, I was only 26 years old. So they said the same there. Then when I came to Lewis Hotels and I became the quality and branding manager, I was 28, 29 years old. They said the same. Then when I became the COO, I was 35 years old. They said the same. Then I went, when I came to the Ministry of Tourism, they always said the same. So throughout my career, and uh, I think this is because I started early, everywhere I've gone, uh, people have been saying, okay, who is this kid? He's so young. What does he know? And every time I've had to prove myself again, but I like that. You know, I, it makes me work harder and with more passion. So if that's the way to get me to work harder, then uh, why not, you know? It's the challenge. And I think it is wonderful. And to be honest, I believe that there should, there should be a certain upper age limit for people to be in uh, certain positions. But of course, I'm not allowed to say that that would be very, what do you call it in today's world? I don't know. I, I will rephrase what you just said, because I think um, you are onto something there. First of all, you know, this, this job needs so much uh, energy. And, um, you know, to be working 100 hours uh, a week and having no time to see your family, your parents, uh, I've barely gone out for dinner 10 times, non-work related in the last four years. So, I mean, in the last nine months, I have traveled to 25 countries trying to promote the country and talk about everything we have been doing to change these perceptions. And this is a job that does require a lot of energy, does require a lot of time, does require a lot of personal investment. And um, something that I have found helpful uh, aside from the fact that um, I'm still youngish, is the fact that I was not related to politics before. And people also know that it is not my ambition to be a lifetime politician. People know that there will come a day when I will no longer be in politics because, um, yeah, I want to be in tourism and I'm not here to be uh, the minister of transport next or the minister of uh, something else, etc. My life is tourism. And this has given me and also us as a ministry the focus to go to keep working irrespective of things that are happening around us. So we've managed, I believe, to bring the whole industry together uh, and to show them that, look, politics has nothing to do with tourism. Yes, it's important to have somebody who politically has the power to represent the industry, but nothing we are doing is for politics and for political reasons. The country and its tourism industry needs genuine people who love the country and um, the tourism industry. And this is what we try to show and it's working. It's working to our favor. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Now, before you mentioned politics in another way, because I want to start talking really about all these beauty, beautiful things in Cyprus, but because I have over uh, people listening in over 100 countries to my podcast and one of the problems here in Cyprus that many people don't know about is that the island is still occupied by the Turkish army. And um, it would be a so much nicer island if we could just go everywhere without any problems. If it was one island, because there is so much beauty in the occupied area. And um, I don't know how much does it need or what's... I, I, personally, I have been 
Listen, I've been listening to the Cyprus problem in the news ever since. It's been 40 years since I came here for the first time. And I'm, an, I'm, I'm a very, very big optimist in life. But when it comes to the Cyprus problem, I'm a pessimist because I just don't see any, any solution. What is your take on the Cyprus problem? Uh, looking uh, at the last decades, you can't argue that we are any closer to having a resolution now compared to um, uh, decades past. To be fair, I often get the impression that things are still so raw uh, and so recent that this does not help. I mean, historically, if you look at the time required for countries in conflict to find resolutions, you need uh, not just a few decades. Sometimes you need many, many decades. And, uh, you know, maybe we're not there yet. Maybe mm -hmm. uh, things are still very raw on both sides. And um, maybe we, we, we all uh, impose too many expectations on ourselves as well. Like maybe it's actually not reasonable to expect that uh, all of a sudden something magical is going to happen immediately. People are still hurting because yeah. of that. And uh, people who have experienced firsthand and have been impacted for the rest of their lives themselves, their children, their grandchildren by what has happened. So actually, how reasonable is it to expect everybody to just forget about everything and solve it now because us romantics, we want it solved. So I think uh, in some way, we all need to give um, a bit more leeway and understanding to the situation to develop um, maybe uh, more organically. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be trying, we should be trying, but um, these things do take time because it has to do with trauma and, uh, and emotions of people. And these things, they don't just happen um, through magic. I mean, every individual, you know, they it's hard enough to work on ourselves as people, you know, that as a, uh, as a life coach and as a, an NLP practitioner, imagine having to work simultaneously on so many hundreds of thousands of people and having to bring them to the same point of understanding and emotional uh, control and emotional understanding. It's not going to happen by magic. So definitely though, you're right that uh, from a tourism perspective, as for other um, parts of the economy too, it is a massive hindrance. And uh, the positive thing is that when the problem is solved, it will give even more impetus uh, to the island as a destination. I believe it needs a few generations because you use the right word. You use the word raw. I am married to a, a refugee. And um, even though he's a very reasonable man, but when it comes to that subject, it's raw. It's, it's uh, you know, he lost his home. They lost their home. And it's not about, it's not about really about money because most people, I have learned one thing in life, people who are successful, even if they lose everything, they will be successful again. It's not about that. It's about many, many other things. And it's, I think it's a lot about also about pride. You know, those people who had a position who had this and this and that in, in, in the occupied area, and suddenly they were refugees. They were nobodies. And they had to start again. And trauma is another word that you used, which is very important. And trauma gets on to future, gets passed on to future generations. It needs to heal. Of course. And I know that firsthand too, because my father and his family, they're also refugees. Twice. They come from a village uh, in the forest of Paphos called um, uh, Livadi. And in 1953, they were kicked out by the Brits uh, because the Brits wanted to protect um, the forest. It was the right decision, okay, because the forest is there and it has been protected. But those people, they lost their homes in 1953. 
and they were sent to another village, Morfu, which in 1974, they again had to lose everything that they worked for the previous 20 years. So they lost everything in 1953. They had to create it again. And then 20 years later, it was taken from them again. So definitely, I mean, people who have been through that not once, but twice, are they not going to be passing some messages of some sort to their children and their grandchildren? So um, totally, I, I agree with you on that. We need time. It's going to be okay. But um we may we both need. not see it. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Hopefully, maybe our kids are okay. I'm a lot older than you. But um, yeah, now let's talk about Cyprus, because this is what you do. This is your bread and butter, and that's probably what you sleep and dream about. Cyprus is a beautiful holiday destination. We get millions of tourists coming to the beach. We get millions of tourists coming to sit in the sun. Unfortunately, some of those tourists don't even know where they are because they, they are just on a beach somewhere. So how much more is there to Cyprus than sun and beach? So much more. And um, actually, since last year, uh, you know, we have a new uh, identity. Uh, we talk about Cyprus in a different way abroad. And the reason we're talking about Cyprus in a different way is not because all of a sudden we just want to do a marketing gimmick. It's because really, in the middle of a pandemic, we have still been going strong with developing our national tourism strategy, making the changes in products and special interest forms of tourism that um, uh, we felt the country needed. I'm going to talk a bit more about uh, this in a bit because it's a huge discussion and, you know, you got me started now. I'm not going to stop talking, yeah? Uh, <laughs> so when people ask now, okay, what is Cyprus? How do you talk about Cyprus abroad? Uh, we don't uh, uh, only speak about Cyprus in terms of sun and sea. Obviously, that's very important to us, but we are an island. We don't need to push that so much. When you're an island, it's obvious that you have beaches. You're surrounded by water. That's actually the definition of an island. And most islands uh, do have uh, good weather as well. What we're now saying about Cyprus abroad and I think this is a unique selling point, is that Cyprus is an island rich in history and culture, full of authentic experiences. And this, we're saying it not only because it's true, but also because it's what the traveler of today wants to experience. They want to have authentic experiences, not just a mass market experience by the beach and uh, all-inclusive, etc. Yes, there is a market for that, but it's actually very small. We think in Cyprus that it's very big, but it's actually very, very small. So... An island rich in history and culture, full of authentic experiences, available year-round, accessible to all, because in terms of accessibility, we have really been improving over the last few years. And in the next three years, we're going to be putting a lot more money on making a lot of areas uh, accessible as a Ministry of Tourism. And finally, uh, accessible within very short distances of each other. Meaning what? All of these authentic experiences that we have to propose, it's very easy to go from one to the other within a few minutes. Let's take the example of France, which is a country I love, by the way. Um, you go, to go from one village to the next, sometimes you need an hour, two hours. Even in Switzerland, the, the, the distances, they're, they're quite big. In Sweden, etc. In Cyprus, to go from one experience or one village to the next, you need 15 minutes half an hour maximum. And this means what? That in one day, you can have four or five different authentic uh, experiences. In a week, you can have 30, 35. But I mean, a trip like this, full of authentic experiences, is full of memories that are going to last a lifetime. 
So this is the side of Cyprus that we are now pushing forward. And uh, a lot of the work that we have done in the last two, three years is to give credibility to how we are now selling the island abroad. And I can give you some practical examples of that uh, if you want. Yes, I do. Okay, well, I start from something you said a bit earlier, that in Cyprus, we haven't always uh, respected the natural environment or uh, the authenticity of our villages, etc. We launched last year um, a certification called Colorful Villages of Cyprus. And this rewards or certifies villages who really remain authentic, they respect uh, the locals, they provide jobs to the locals, they respect local products, they uh, respect uh, nature and they plant a lot of trees, a lot of flowers to give natural uh, color. Um, so uh, already we have certified three villages like this. It's Kalopanayotis, also the village of um, Buni and the village of Steni in Paphos. And this is basically like um, a certification scheme that is going to make our villages compete with each other so that they improve, so that they show something better than the next village or the previous village. And already since the certification of these three villages, we have had another 25 applications. So this has started to work. I mean, this nice little competition we've created, I think it's going to help. And they've done it exceptionally well in France. We took this example from France and especially the region of Alsace. They have Le Plus Beau Village de, de la France. So, and it works a lot. And actually yesterday we announced um, an incentive scheme which supports villages uh, with up to 65,000 euros so that they improve their aesthetics. And obviously they, we will control where they spend that money. It's not, not just gonna be money spent on just some random stuff. There's specific things we like to see. Um, but the important thing is that for the first time ever, these small villages, they will not be required to put any money out of their own pockets. They're able to get 100% of this funding from us. And with 65,000 euros, I think they can do a lot to change the, the aesthetics um, of, of the village. And, and I don't mean to do something like ultra modern. No, just making small details and touches like, you know, cleaning up, making sure that the signage is uh, nicely made of wood and all of not these neon lights and for them to take away all these plastic tables and chairs that you find in the local coffee shops, for them to add recycling bins, for them to remove this, um, uh, these advertising uh, umbrellas that it's completely horrible. I hate them. I'm not going to talk about companies per se, but I hate it. I hate it. This is not authentic. So this is only one of the things that we have done. Um, another thing that uh, we have paid a lot of attention to is uh, wine and gastronomy. We have uh, five uh, wine and gastronomy labels. The first is called Cyprus Breakfast. Obviously, it promotes the concept of Cyprus breakfast rather than continental breakfast or American breakfast or English breakfast. In hotels, there is a, a small corner um, on the um, breakfast buffet where um, it's a Cyprus breakfast corner. They use uh, only Cypriot uh, products. And now we've extended that to restaurants as well. So you can go to restaurants or brunch places, breakfast places, and see the Cyprus breakfast plate or the healthy Cyprus breakfast plate, the vegan Cyprus breakfast plate. So that's going pretty well. We have um, 150 businesses, I think, in that. 
We also have 150 businesses in another uh, label called Vegan Friendly Hotels and Restaurants. And this is not a fad, you know. A lot of younger people, they don't want to eat meat or animal products 21 times a week. They, they want to do something a bit more healthy. So we offer them this option as well. And the climate here in Cyprus, I think, is fantastic to pay attention to plant-based uh, products. We have another label called uh, Taste Cypress. This certifies delicatessens, which sell authentic Cypriot uh, products or restaurants serving uh, authentic Cypriot cuisine, even with a twist. Um, they're also certified for their authenticity, their recipes, etc. And there's around 100 businesses in that too. And another two um, uh, you know, gastronomy labels are obviously the wine routes. In Cyprus, we have been making wine for almost 6,000 years. No disrespect to countries, uh, let's say, that uh, are young, like the U.S., a country we all respect. But, you know, it's a country that uh, is 500 years old and they have done so much. Well, in Cyprus, we've been making wine for 6,000 years. So uh, there's a story to tell there. And we're starting to tell this story now through the wine routes. And not a lot of people know that our wine is probably the ancestor of great worldwide wines like the Gewustra Miner of, um, of Alsace. And related to that is also the wine route of uh, Comandaria. Uh, we call it uh, Le Vignoble de la Grande Comanderie. We gave it a French name because not many people know that Comandaria won the first international wine competition in the world in the year 1224. It was a French competition uh, instigated by the French uh, King Philip. And it was called La Bataille de Vin. And it was a Cypriot wine that won that competition. And it's called Comandaria. You can only call a wine Comandaria if the grapes come from 14 designated villages. So it's totally, totally exclusive. Another example I want to give is the Heartland of Legends. This is um, a 3,000-kilometer route of authentic experiences. What's an authentic experience? Is being able to go to somebody's home, see how they make halloumi, for example or traditional marmalade, or traditional bread, how they make, um, I don't know, a traditional chairs, traditional flutes, um, traditional earrings. And you are able to participate in that experience as a visitor, but also as somebody who wants to learn something. You can go and have a class in somebody's home or in the village community. You can participate in a workshop. You can buy something uh, there from the locals and then create a relationship with them that lasts a lifetime. So all of these experiences, they're on this 3,000-kilometer route, and organically, it's growing, it's snowballing. Like, we started with around um, 1,000 experiences last year, and already now there's more businesses and more businesses and more businesses. So by the end of this decade, we're going to have tens of thousands of authentic experiences on that route. And why do we call it Heartland of Legends? Because... First of all, it passes exclusively from the heartland of Cyprus, the mountains, the rural areas, and the faraway parts um, of the island, so not the traditional sun and sea resorts. And second, throughout our 11,000-year history of civilization, a lot of nations passed from Cyprus, the Lusignans, the Ottomans, the Byzantines, you name it, and they left something here, a story, a legend, hence the name Heartland of Legends. So without wanting to develop further because I'm conscious of the time, all of these things that we're doing is to add authenticity back into the product that we are selling about Cyprus and hence uh, the new storyline. do cook and they do take into consideration these things and I'm sure that uh, Cyprus has a, will have a long story to tell with regards to uh, plant-based nutrition. 
And the last thing that I always want to say, because I'm proud of it, this year is the first year that I actually swam in the sea in February and drove to Trodos and skied the same day, because this is what we are famous for and nobody does it, but you can do it here, you know, and, and uh, I think Cyprus is so much more than people think it is. And I think this is a good ending to our uh, conversation and I really really appreciate that you have taken the time to talk to me um, Elizabeth it's been a real pleasure to talk to you um, and uh, honestly I I have nothing but admiration for you uh, for the fact that you have not only accepted my country but you have also made it your own and you talk about Cyprus in a way that is so authentic and so touching. And um, I love that about you. Now you have made me blush. Was well, that I owe you one. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Savas Berdios. It's been a huge pleasure. Elizabeth, thank you very, very much. If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information in the show notes. <laughs>